Good morning. Man, uh, glad to see the church house is uh, full and full again, guys, and uh, very exciting. We had uh, a couple of amazing baptisms last week. We've got a baptism today. The baptismal waters will be stirred again next Sunday, and so that's praise to God. Um, I want to give you guys uh, just an update. I've been asked by several about Brother Ben's condition, and um, Brother Ben has been diagnosed with pneumonia, and um, he is home right now uh, in a state where uh, his voice sounded much stronger yesterday evening, uh, but there are some issues to pray for, especially with some fluid uh, on the lungs, so please pray for Ben, for June, for Karen, for Lowell. Uh, I know there are many others that are sick uh, that need prayers right now, many that are struggling, but we just sang about the praises of God. In the good times and the bad, he is God alone. He is on his throne. He is supreme above all, and he will answer as he hears our prayers. And so be faithful to be praying um, for our church family, for our friends, for family members, and for our nation as well. And speaking of our nation, uh, we celebrate Memorial Day this weekend, Memorial Day weekend. We will, uh, many will be off work tomorrow for you retired folks that, you know, you don't have to go to work anymore, okay? So that's nice. Uh, one day maybe we'll get there. You know what's going to happen? We're going to work. Uh, I'll probably work until it's retirement age and then Jesus will rapture. That'd be all right, but I'll never enjoy retirement. So, hey, that's okay. Uh, but um, one of the things that I wanted to mention today, and, and I want to pray for Ben and June and, and, and for those of us uh, who are ill here in just a moment, but I want to share something about Memorial Day that um, you probably know. Uh, most of us are touched by uh, family members or loved ones who have served in the military. Uh, some of us have served in the military. The day for memorial, for remembrance of this weekend, what we celebrate for Memorial Day is for those who have fallen, okay, those who have passed away. Specifically, uh, a lot of times we, we put a focus on those who have died in battle, uh, but also for any of who have fallen. Uh, we also have other days that are patriotic days, such as Independence Day. We know what that is, July 4th, uh, and then Veterans Day. And Veterans Day is the day to remember those who are alive, who are serving or who have served our countries, that we thank those folks. And, and that's just a distinction that uh, some may not know. I didn't always know that, and I grew up in a military family. But uh, one of the things about Memorial Day and how it even began is it began as a day of remembrance for those who lost their lives during the Civil War. And so for years and years, uh, this has been a tradition that's been practiced. It used to be known as Decoration Day, and some of you guys will still go. Maybe you've gone today or this afternoon or tomorrow to cemeteries to decorate, uh, place flowers or other memorials on the graves of those who have gone on before us. Uh, it's a day to remember our ancestors, our family members, and loved ones who have given the ultimate sacrifice to stand in the gap for us and to provide us what is being fought against today, which is our liberty and freedom in the United States of America. It is a day to recall, to remember, to pay honor and respect. Gradually, as the practice expanded after World War I, uh, it became a national holiday, which was called Memorial Day. It was dedicated to honoring all Americans who have perished in service to our country, particularly, as we said before, those in combat, much more than the unofficial start to summer uh, or a three-day weekend where we get to enjoy some barbecue and go out to the lake. This is a special, special holiday in which we must remember. And one of the most poignant things that um, 
I've ever heard about Memorial Day is uh, why we wear poppies. And I don't have my poppy on this morning. I, I was wearing my American flag pin. But I, I wanted to share with you just this brief poem. It's called In Flanders Field by Lieutenant Colonel John McRae. And if you've seen the poppies, and I know that it's not as common a practice to have poppies on as it used to be, but the red poppy was adopted as a reminder, as a commemoration of the war dead. And it really became popular and gained traction after 1915 with this poem that Lieutenant Colonel John McRae would write called In Flanders Field. Now, this poem is told from the perspective of those who have died, the fallen soldiers. And as McRae was serving as a brigade surgeon uh, for the Allied forces, he was walking early one spring morning uh, following the Second Battle of Ypres, uh, which is an area near Flanders in Belgium, and he was walking amidst the carnage, and you can only imagine what a, a, a war surgeon sees and experiences and deals with, and the barbarity and the loss and the, the carnage that he's there. And he had just lost one of his very dear friends. In fact, uh, the, the name of that person he wrote in his journal, Lieutenant Alexis Helmer. Helmer was one of over 87,000 allied casualties during the battle. But he, he noticed as he was walking out on the fields one early morning and he was helping tend to the wounded and seek out those who had perished, a clump of bright red flowers. And they were on a piece of churned and charred soil on the battlefield. He was struck by this contrast of the beauty in the midst of the barbarity. And he began to write this poem. The poem called In or called Flanders Field, and I want to read this poem to you. In Flanders fields, the poppies grow between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place, and in the sky, the larks still bravely singing fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If you break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. Guys, would you stand with me as we pray and thank God for those who have given lives so that we can have the freedom we do today? Would you join your heart your voice with mine as we seek the Father. Dear God, uh, we know not the names of the countless cemeteries and the unmarked graves and those who were uh, even buried in mass graves who died on the field or who died and perished at sea, Lord God. We don't know the, all of the families, Lord God. We don't know the birth dates. We never knew the personalities, the funny, the stoic, the young, the middle-aged, the older. But men and women, Lord, have died for us to be able to stand up today, for us to be able to come into a beautiful sanctuary and to preach. We know that none of their sacrifices trumps your sacrifice in giving us your only begotten son, that Jesus Christ is the sole reason that America has been blessed and remains blessed. But today, Lord God, we do thank you for those that were brave and courageous. I know many were scared. Lord, the days are past when we have young men and even women who would forge their birth certificates to be able to go to war to fight for our country. But Lord, we still enjoy the freedoms that they died for. 
We are blessed, Lord, beyond all nations. We are a sick nation today, Lord God, in need of help from above. We need repentance. We need to turn from our wickedness, Lord God. But still we enjoy the freedoms that you have given us. And for that we say thank you. We pray that you would bless every family, everyone that's been touched, everyone that has loved ones, even serving and courageously fighting and defending our freedom still today. We love you, God. We praise you. We ask that you would bless this church, bless this state, bless this nation, bless our world, Lord God, and that you would revive us again. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. We, uh, we sang songs this morning um, just speaking really about, uh, we, we sang scripture this morning. I mean, that was straight scripture we were singing. Exodus 20 was some of the, the very lyrics that are the words right out of scripture. And last week we talked about, as we began a, a new sermon series on the Ten Commandments. And I, I think I said it last week, a lot of people look at the Old Testament, and especially books like Exodus and the Ten Commandments and uh, the Abrahamic Covenant and the Mosaic Law as stuff that's antiquated, the stuff that's old and outdated that no longer really pertains or applies to us today. But that could not be further from the truth. The, the scriptures are all woven together with a golden thread. It's all God's Word. And God says, I am changeless. I change not. And so he is the same yesterday and today and forever. And his word is still applicable. It is still true. It is still inerrant. It is still very much something that we should be obeying from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation. There is nothing that should be omitted from our lives. But oftentimes we think, man, it's such, so much rule. There's so much rule keeping involved, especially in the Old Testament. And yet God has summarized... Uh, the Mosaic Law into ten words. As we said last week, it's called the Decalogue because it means ten words. And uh, we, we look at this this morning and we think, man, can we keep ten things? Can we keep them perfectly? Can we keep them well? Uh, and we, we realize that we fall because when you fall in one point, when one chain breaks, the whole chain falls, that we're not very good at even keeping ten things. And yet it's showing us, the whole law was meant to show us we can't do it on our own, that we have to have Jesus, that we must rely upon God to help us. If there's any salvation to be had, it has to come from the divine one, from God himself. And so last week we looked at uh, five ways in, as to why we should still study the Ten Commandments. And we said uh, that was out of general ignorance, um, out of historical instruction, because if we don't know our history, we're doomed to repeat it. Uh, that it's important to know the Mosaic Law, because Christendom is really founded upon such, as, uh, as Judaism is. Uh, that it's central. The, these Ten Commandments are still central to the New Testament. We talked about how Jesus, when he was approached by the rich young ruler, uh, and, and the whole summation of the conversation was based upon him keeping the commandments, and, and Jesus told him, you know, sell all you have, which really spoke to that idea of covetousness, and the young man couldn't do that, and he left very sad. And then the fifth reason we should study the Ten Commandments is because God's law is good. It's good and good for us. Um, we, we do not let our children 
uh, just run amok. We don't let them do things that we know would be harmful for them. You know, I, I remember when I was a little boy, my mom stayed home with my brother and I for a season, and uh, one of the ways that she helped make some money was that she uh, laundered clothes and she ironed clothes. And I remember uh, she did that in, in one of the bedrooms in our home, and there was always uh, clothing there. And one day, I was playing there kind of near the iron where she was constantly standing and working and she's, she had to leave the room and she said, now Aaron, uh, don't touch the iron while I'm gone. Don't play with it. It's hot. And what was the first thing a rebellious child does is, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I went up and for, for quite a while I had the little steam uh, circles emblazoned in my hand. Uh, and by the way, I don't, I don't know, uh, she used mustard on my hand. I don't know if that was the best thing in the world either, but I still remember that, and I was four at the time. Anyway, I, I tell you that story because our natural tendency as human beings is when we're told not to do something, we rebel and we go do it, don't we? I mean, it's just one of those things. Don't look in the box, and they walk out of the room, and first thing you do is you sneak a peek into the box. Uh, there's, a, there's an awesome psychological test called, uh, it's called the marshmallow test. And they, they lay this marshmallow on a table, and they've got all these little kids in there that are preschool, kindergarten, first grade, second grade age. And one at a time, uh, the, the, the person will come in, and they'll lay a big old stay-puffed marshmallow right in front of the little child. And they'll say, I'll be back in a couple of minutes, and if you don't touch that marshmallow, I'll give you two marshmallows. Well, lo and behold, there's this hilarious video. I wish I had it. Uh, and you see the kids, and you see one little kid, he kind of leans up. They don't know there's cameras watching him, and he licks the marshmallow, you know. And it's like, I feel for that kid because I'm like him. But there is just a couple of kids that leave that marshmallow there. And of course, they're rewarded with more. But it's hard for us to be obedient. It's hard for us to do what we're told. And yet, God commands us that it's for our good. Our reward is greater if we'll be patient and do what we're told. And so this is kind of the purpose and the premise of the Ten Commandments. I really did, I called an audible midweek uh, because I wanted to jump into the first commandment, which is Exodus 20, verse 3. And if you got your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Exodus 20. But one thing that I needed to lay the foundation for before we jump into the first commandment is it is wonderful to study the Ten Commandments. And I gave you last week five reasons why we should still study the Ten Commandments. But I would be amiss, I would be off base if I didn't tell you it's even more important to obey them. Why should we still obey the Ten Commandments? You know, I've been in all kinds of groups throughout the years uh, um, as I've been a Christian. I've been uh, in Bible study groups and one-on-one -on -one studies and accountability groups and large course studies, uh, seminary studies, guys who would just get around and we'd open our Bibles up together, men and women who study the Word together, uh, outside studies, coffee groups, um, just all kinds of places. And so much of the time, our focus is on gaining more biblical knowledge, and we want to stuff our heads with it. But it's not the knowledge that's important if we don't obey it. If you don't become doers of the word and your hearers only, your faith is null and void. It's great to know all the things. Man, you could memorize scripture, but if you're not doing what it says, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to please the Lord. And so this morning, 
I just want to talk about these five reasons why we obey the Ten Commandments still today. And it is all summarized on the first commandment, which is Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. But the Ten Commandments should never have been ignored by the Israelites. They shouldn't have been ignored 2,000 years ago. They shouldn't be ignored today. And as important as it is to study these commands, it's even more important to live them out. God is honored through obedience more than just intellectual analysis. He doesn't want a critique of his word. He wants obedience to his word. And so this is all about living out a love relationship with God. When we live it out, okay, uh, when, when, when my child, when I tell him uh, to do something or when I tell one of them to do something and they listen to it, which is rare, uh, they, they, if they don't do it, they haven't obeyed me. You can hear it and nod your head. Jennifer, they can look you right in the eyes, right? And, and yet not do it. But the doing is what makes you understand that they're listening. And guys, listening and hearing are different things. We can hear God tell us to do something. But when we actually listen, there is implied obedience with that. And so here are five reasons why we should still be obeying the Ten Commandments. Number one, we are set apart. Old Testament and New Testament flow together. Exodus 19, verse 6. Okay, we're in Exodus 20, but if you've got your Bible, it may be on the same page. Look at Exodus 19, verse 6. Verse 6 says that you shall be to me, he's speaking to the Israelites, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So God was telling the Israelites that they were a, a very peculiar people, that they were unique in that they were the only one that had a God, a true God, that walked with them, that talked with them, that sought to their needs, that would send the Messiah for them. But the same is true, not just for the Israelites, but for us as Christians today. We too are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And how do we know that? First Peter 2.9 says it. God speaking, saying, listen to this, but you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. And why are you those things? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're all those special, unique, privileged things. You're all those sanctified, set-apart, wonderful things so that you might proclaim the excellencies of God. Are you telling the world about how good God is? Are you living out a life that shows people that God is not only good, but he's real? And that's the purpose of this. Guys, as Christians, we must be prepared in this world today to stand alone. To be sanctified or set apart doesn't mean that we're better than the rest of the world. It just means that we are a possession of God and that we ought to look and sound different than who we once were. You know, the standard isn't what the world says. The standard is what God says about us as individuals. And so we're not a people who should look and talk and act and dress and be perceived exactly like the world from which we're called out of and delivered from. We have rules that the world doesn't understand. We're to obey rules that the world isn't even called to obey. 
Yes, they should, but they aren't the possession of God until they've trusted Jesus as their Savior. Of course, we, weren't all, we are not always the holy people that we're supposed to be. We're, uh, we're, uh, uh, <laughs> we like to make excuses. Forgive my tongue. Forgive the way I, I, I think. Forgive what I said. Forgive what I watched. And God offers forgiveness for those things. But guys, we often do the things we ought not to do. But God has called us to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's who we are because that's who God says we are. And we are God's people, sanctified and set apart. We're called, and guys, we're also held accountable to live according to God's ways. The second reason why we should still be obeying the commandments is that we are set apart, just like the Israelites were set apart. We're, we're God's. He owns us. He is not uh, making us walk around with our noses in the air as though we're, we're snooty saints, but he's saying you are saints. You're not what you were. You're not, you're not like that anymore. The old man, the old woman has passed away. Behold, all things have come new. I have made you something different. But the second reason here that we should still obey them is that God gave them. Man, anything that God says is worth us pausing and listening to. These first couple of verses in Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2, they're not just filler. They're not just fluff that's put there so that we can get to the meat of the commandments. These first two verses in Exodus 20 establish who God is and why we should obey him. If I come into a room or you come into a room and you don't know the people there, you introduce yourself. They often want to know, especially if I'm in a lecture, who is this professor? Who is this teacher? What are their credentials? You know, where have they been? What have they done? Why do they have the right to authoritatively tell me that these things they're about to teach are, are proper and correct? Well, this is what God is establishing here. Look at verse 1 in Exodus 20. Then God spoke all these words, saying, and it's very interesting because we read past that so quickly. But God spoke every one of these things. And this is what he said in verse 2. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and who brought you out of the house of slavery. The word that is used there in Exodus 20 verse 2 for Lord is Yahweh. That is the covenant-keeping God. He's made a promise to you, and nothing and no one can ever break his promise to you. And, and, and it's so powerful but that this is the same God, the very God who spoke to Moses in the burning bush. This is the God who said the most declarative statement of all time in Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. Nothing can top that. This is, you know, there's people that got one name, like Madonna or Prince, you know. Uh, but, but God doesn't even have to say, he just says, I am. And everybody should know. This is the sovereign, self-existent, self-sufficient, almighty creator God. The God of the plagues, the God of the Red Seas, the God of the manna in the wilderness. And he's your God, and he's my God. And he's not to be trifled with. If there is a God, and if he's anything like the God revealed in the scripture, then it would be so unbelievably presumptuous and foolish and dangerous for us to not heed what he said and to crowdsource our own ethical code. In other words, to say, well, the world says this is okay, and my teacher said this is okay, and my grandparents said this is okay, and I put it all together and I make my own moral code to live by. The law is an expression of the lawgiver's heart. 
It tells of his character and his nature. And we need to think about that before we say, I don't care about laws. I don't care for laws. They're, they're too strict. They're too stuffy. Before we bristle at things that are do's and don'ts, the Ten Commandments not only show us what God wants, they also show us what God is like. Because God, first and foremost, keeps every one of these perfectly. It is who he is. They speak to God's honor, to his worth, to his majesty. The Ten Commandments are really the summation of telling us what matters to God. And it all starts with, He is God alone. There is none other. They tell us um, all about the law. Because as we said last week, the Ten Commandments are really the introduction to the Mosaic Law. We can't disdain the law without disrespecting the lawgiver. The third reason why we should still be obeying the Ten Commandments is that He is Lord. And that should matter to you as a born-again Christian. God isn't simply revealed as a Lord or as Lord standing alone. He is called, in verse 2, the Lord your God. And you are His treasured possession. Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Two things he says. Obey my voice keep my covenant. Then it's, a, it's an if-then clause, okay? If you will, then you will be my treasured possession out of all the nations. Why does that matter? Because the end of that verse, for all the world, for all the earth is mine, declares the Lord. Out of everything that he owns, and he owns everything, the ones who heed his voice and obey him are his treasured possession. He's a God of absolute power. He has incredibly tender and personal regard for his creation. Guys, the intimacy and his compassion for his people is even greater than his care for the world. And he is a personal God. Romans 8.31 tells us that in Christ, God is always for us. Always. Never has he left you. Never has he forsaken you. That's his promise. And if God's voice were to thunder upon the earth today... It would frighten us as it did so many in the Bible to the point of falling on our knees or, or quaking or as those guards were there guarding the tomb of Jesus that was opened up as dead men. It would kill some of us. But the divine one, you think about this same God who has that kind of power, who spoke the world into existence, is on your side. He is your God. He is your Father. He is even more intimately your Abba. And he gives us these commands for his glory, but also, and please don't miss this, for your good. God doesn't want to see you hurt. God doesn't want to see you cut down. God doesn't want to see you stray. He doesn't want to see you attacked by the evil one. The fourth reason it's still good to obey the commandments is that they are our freedom. Now, guys, I think a lot of the world thinks today that freedom is doing whatever we want whatever we enjoy, whatever we can get away with. You know, a lot of people don't apologize until they get caught. But that's not freedom. Freedom is enjoying the benefits of doing what we should do. In other words, when we do what's right, the reward for that is getting to enjoy the freedoms of all that rightness that we're provided. And so, it's so important As we think about Memorial Day weekend, we think about the freedoms that we have as Americans. 
Man, freedom is hard fought. It's heavily bought. Uh, You've heard the saying, some gave all, all gave some. When I think about the freedoms we enjoy in America today, the first thing I think of is not the rules and the laws and the stop signs and the speed signs and the stuff. I don't think about all that stuff. I think about how great we have it as a nation and how we got it. I think about national cemeteries. I don't know if you've ever been to Arlington. Um, man, there is something that just stops your breath when you look at those marble headstones and granite headstones. And guys, when I think about freedom as a Christian, you think about this. All things, Paul said, are permissible, but not all things are good for us. God gives you leeway. God gives you liberty. God gives you grace beyond what you could ever have without him. And yet there's still, if we'll come to him and confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Blood and sacrifice pay for freedom. They've done it for America. They've done it for us as Christians. When I think about this as Christians, we don't think about God as some kind of a tyrant who's mean to us. He's some bully. And he's trying to keep us from realizing our dreams. And he's trying to keep us from our potential. And he's trying to, to steal our joy and our happiness away and stop us from good life. He's not. That's not who God is. Instead, we think about the God who in Jesus Christ said in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and abundantly. Right before that, in that verse, it says that that Satan has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. God's lawlessness leads to death and hell. But Christ has given us rules. He's given us God-giving, life-giving mandates so that we don't go down that path of lawlessness and become destroyed. I think about our Christian freedoms when I think about that Jesus who was stripped naked, who was punched in the face, who was, his beard was plucked from him, who, whom wore the crown of thorns driven into his head, who was beaten mercilessly to the point of unrecognition. I think about that one who carried his cross for you and I, and at some point, through the lack of everything that he had, because he'd already given all, he collapsed, and someone had to help carry his cross. And then the nails that were driven into his hands and feet And you think about why. Why did he have to die that way? It's so that you could live not like, not just like how you wanted to. Not with just how you could get away with. But so that you could live in the freedom and abundance of blessing that God is providing. And so that one day, when we pass from this life, and our next breath is in the portals of heaven, that we get to enjoy that life. Freedom is costly. Man, I'll tell you what, if you think it's burdensome to keep the Ten Commandments, consider how many laws we have in the United States. Nobody even knows how many actual laws there are. There's not even a count, really, that people can look at and say because there's federal laws, there's state laws, there's local governance. There's all kinds of laws. There's laws uh, and rules in every building and every business and every school. They all differ. And even in every classroom, in every home, there's laws, there's rules. But consider this. There are 20,000 laws on the books regarding or regulating gun ownership alone. And you think we need more laws? 
You think more laws are going to stop people from killing people with guns? You think more laws passed are going to stop people from walking into schools or walking into church buildings or walking out in the street or drive-by shootings? More laws are not the solution because it's not legality that solves and cures the problem. It is the heart of man. And you know, I know we say this and it's become cliche because we have memes galore out on the internet today, but Cain killed his brother Abel and there was no gun in existence. It wasn't with a knife, it was probably with a rock that he killed him. You can kill somebody with anything, but it's not the object that is at fault. It is the person and the heart within that person. In 2010, there were an estimated 40,000 new laws passed at various levels of government across the U.S. I like this one. In 2008, a House committee asked the Congressional Research Committee, committees are good, right? Uh, the, The House committee asked the Congressional Research Committee to calculate the number of criminal offenses in federal law. How many laws are there on the books that are considered criminal? Okay. That was 2008. Five years later, they came back and they gave their answer. And you know what it was? On record. We lack sufficient means, manpower, and resources to answer such a question. Isn't that great? That's government right there. They don't even know. But here's the deal about God giving us ten. God's not trying to crush you with red tape and regulation. These aren't prison bars that he's given us. It's not bureaucracy that he's trying to pull over our head, but it's blessing he's trying to give us. When I tell my little boys not to play in the street, it's not because I'm being mean to them or trying to keep that beautiful open pavement area out there off limits to them. It's to keep them from getting killed or hurt. It's their blessing that I'm after, not to rid them of some kind of fun. And the same is true with us. These traffic or these commandments that God gives us, if we want to think about them in human terms, are a lot more like traffic laws. Yes, there are some of us that drive like there are no traffic laws. But it doesn't stop the fact that even when you're impatient at a red light, you can still, and I know you don't find the gladness in this, man, this red light has been red for, and you're like, 10 minutes. And you're like, really, it's been like a minute and five seconds, you know, but it's all exaggerated when you get mad. But you can still be glad that there are traffic lights because there is some semblance of law and order in place to help regulate traffic, to keep things flowing smoothly, and to make you safe. The thing is, is that people on the road stop and go. They slow down when driving by schools, right, Miss Michelle? They don't do that very well. Okay. Uh, People should slow down when they drive by schools. People should stop for school buses. They should stop for pedestrians. If you don't obey the law, someone gets hurt and you pay consequences as well. I I guarantee we wouldn't even be able to drive to Walmart were it not for traffic laws. You don't curse the guardrails that were put out. Guardrails are something that we don't even notice most of the time. And you don't ever need a guardrail unless you're involved in an accident or unless you're in danger. But here's the deal. When we get out of control, when our lives get out of control, thank God there are rules and laws that he set in place to sovereignly watch over us and to protect us. Guardrails like the Ten Commandments were put in place at great expense and for our good so that we may travel about safely.
The Ten Commandments are not instructions on how to get out of Egypt. The Ten Commandments are not things that you look at and say, if I obey these things well, I'll get to heaven. Not that. The Ten Commandments are life-giving rules for a free people to stay free. And guys, think about it. If every one of us in here sought to obey the Ten Commandments and live out of grace and live lives of love, what kind of a world this would be. The last thing that we look at uh, as to why we should still obey the Ten Commandments is that God loves us. This stuff is given to us out of love. It's given to us so that we could have freedom, that we would know love. God gave these laws after. He gave these to the Israelites after the good news of deliverance. He'd already sent Moses in. He'd sent Aaron in. The plagues had come. And yet God is giving them these things after they're delivered. They're already free. And yet he's telling them, these are the commandments that I want you to live by. God didn't come to the Israelites when they were slaves, when their straw had been taken away and they were still called on to make bricks, when they were baking in the heat and living lives that were shambles of what they could have and should have been living. God didn't come to them and say, I have ten words for you. I want you to get these ten things right, and I'll be back in five years to see if you've got them right. He said, if you've cleaned your lives up, then I will set you free from Egypt. That sounds like a really stupid and silly thing to say. But that is how so many people view Christianity. I'm telling you right now today, if you're sitting in here, if somebody's listening or watching on Facebook, that God is not looking for you to clean yourself up, to get things in order, to put your life in order, to make things right. God is saying, while you're in your sin, while you're still slaves to sin, while you're still slaves in Egypt, I am going to deliver you, and I want to give you a new way in which to live. This is the beauty of grace, and grace was present even in the Old Testament. God does not love you because you obey rules. You don't earn God's love, period. It's never been the case, not with us, not with them, not in the story of Exodus, nowhere in the New Testament. The Israelites were an oppressed people, and that's such an easy word to say for people that were broken down, beat up, enslaved, belonged to someone else, had their entire lives regulated and managed, had Egypt even saying, listen, Pharaoh's passing down an order. If you see any boys, baby boys born, you take those babies and you go throw them in the river and drown them, kill them. That's the kind of oppressive system they lived under. Can you even imagine? You're pregnant. They all know you're pregnant. They know what house you live in. They know where you're at. They know your name and your husband's name. And they're watching you. So that if that baby that's in your womb right now is born, they're going to take it and they're going to go kill it. Can you imagine living under such an oppressive regime? This is what they lived in. Yet God said to them, while... They were enslaved while they were miserable. I hear your cry, and I'm going to save you because I love you, not because of anything you can do. And once you're saved, once you're delivered, once you're forgiven, once you're free, then I'm going to give you a new way to live. Because you think about the Israelites. They had lived in Egypt for so long that they didn't even know how to govern themselves. They didn't know how to live as a godly people free. And so God's saying, I'm going to give you the right way to follow and to obey me. We need to hear it again. And this is on the screen, but read it and listen to it. Heed it. Salvation is not a reward for your obedience. 
Salvation is the reason for your obedience. And here's how I could drive that home from John 14, 15. Jesus does not say, if you obey my commandments, I will love you. Instead, Jesus first bent down, knowing that he was about to die. And he wrapped that towel around his waist, and he took that basin of water, and he washed the disciples' feet. Once he was finished washing their feet, which was a task that was for the lowest of the low servants, he said, if you love me, you will keep or obey my commandments. All this doing, all that he's done for us, the life you have, the breath you have, the grace you have, the freedom you have, the enjoyment of things that you have, the possessions that you've accumulated, the house you live in, the bed you sleep on, the air conditioner that we get to enjoy, the clothes on your back, the cars that we drive, the schools that we go to, the jobs that we have. Everything is a blessing from God. And he gave it to us. And he first loved us. And then he died, and he rose again to prove it to us. And that's why we're able to love it all. You go back to that, Exodus 20, verse 3. Why should I obey this? Because there are no other gods. And this God loved you and gave himself for you, and everything you have is because of him. Don't you think he's deserving of your worship and your loyalty and your obedience? The most important aspect of your faith is not how hard you believe. I remember being a 17-year-old high school kid sitting in Unity Missionary Baptist Church in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and Pastor Sid Ree preached this, and I had never clicked with it before. He's, he, was, he was comparing some of the, the, uh, the uh, whoever they are in the Old Testament, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, all the people that were back there. Those people were loyal to their gods to the point where they would sacrifice their babies and blood sacrifices to Baal and other false gods. That, that was zeal, if there ever has been zeal. But I remember what Sid said to me, and he said, it's possible. He's not just to me. I took it, though. He was speaking to us. And he said, it is possible for someone to be so zealous that they'll do anything, so sold out, and yet to still be wrong. There are people today that are so zealous, believing that it is their right to kill an unborn baby. And yet, even in their zeal, the zeal is admirable because they're sold out in it, but what they're zealous about is wrong. Guys, we can be sold out for some cause, some person, and be wrong if it's not for God. It's possible for you to be full of sincerity, to truly believe what you believe, to worship even, and to still worship the wrong thing. That's why we need commandments. That's why we need rules. That's why we need laws. So God tells us, I'm God, and these are the right ways to obey so that you will have blessing and long life upon the earth. We owe God everything. We owe Him adoration in that we worship Him alone. We owe Him trust in that we treasure Him over all things. I don't know when the last time we don't, a lot of us don't get checks anymore like from, uh, from our job for our place of employment. So much of it's auto-drafted. But I wonder when the last time you got that check at the end of the week and you said, Thank you, Jesus. 
I wonder when the last time was that uh, you got a report card and maybe it was good, maybe it was okay, and yet you said, thank you, Lord. I know there's a lot of kids right now that are ending school and they're saying, praise Jesus because it's over. But man, even in the process, you wake up in the morning, man, you hurt, you're sore, you're tired, but you say, thank you, God. Thank you for life today. Thank you for what I have. We owe God everything. We owe him thanks, and we owe him obedience. The last thing that I say is right here. You can know much about God. You can read, memorize scripture. You can go to Bible studies. You can spend every day of your life reading books about Christianity, listening to sermons. But obeying God is the key that's going to unlock that treasure trove of what true Christianity means. And the world doesn't understand it. But we can. As Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And my commandments are not burdensome. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, um, we're going to worship, sing a little bit. We're going to see a baptism, uh, experience an ordinance of of yours fulfilled. But Lord, uh, I pray that ours is not, I pray that every soul in this place, it's not a dry religion. It's not just rote. That it's not just, I have to read my Bible, I have to study I have to pray today to earn God's favor. But it's that I get to. Man, I get to ask God. I get to thank God. I get to go through this because I know God's going to do something even bigger on the other side. I get to experience the blessing of God. I'm alive today because of you, God. And since you've given me life, I'm going to do something in return. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to bless somebody else. I'm going to worship you, God. I'm going to help my friends and my family that may be confused. Maybe they don't understand why we even get up and get dressed and come to church on Sunday mornings. Maybe I can show them by the way I live, by the words I speak, what this is all about, why it matters. Father, I pray that you would instill in your people today joy that we get to, not that we have to. Yes, we should. But because of that, we have freedom, we have liberty, we have blessing, we have grace. And even when we fall short, Lord God, man, your mercy's there to pick us up. You carry us, you hold us, you love us, and your love is unconditional. Lord, I pray today if somebody is dry and weary, that they would come and drink from the fountain that is overflowing. Lord, I pray today that if somebody is here, and they are sad, and they are broken, and they're to the point where they're at the end of their own rope, that they'd let go, and that they'd fall into your hands and turn it all over to you. Lord, I pray for the one who today may think, I've got to clean myself up before I can be saved. I've got to get some things in order before I can rededicate my life. I've got to do a certain number of things before I can be baptized. The Lord God, you would let them drop that lie at the altar and come before your throne of grace and that you would heal them, 
correct them, edify them, and embrace them. And let them just surrender it all today. Lord Jesus, you are good. You give us these things, Lord God, not to tie us down or keep us from things, but to love us to our very best and help us reach our fullest potential in Jesus. Bless this church, God, wherever we're at, whatever we're in need of. Father, we pray that you would help us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.